0: So good to see you. My name is Naomi, If we you haven't met before. Um, and today we're carrying on in our series in Ephesians. Um, we've been in this book for what seems like a very long time. I think we started in August, so we're still tracking through. And at the beginning, if you can cast your mind back to the beginning of um, this series in, in August, you sit under the, the beginning of the book, you sit under all these declarations of who God is, of what he's like, and they're really stirring and they're challenging, and of course they totally relate to us, but the second half of this book, as we've already said several times over the last few weeks, it kind of begins to cut a little closer because suddenly we're faced with the question, in the light of all of these things that I've read, that I've learned, how then shall we live? What does it mean to live a life that is shaped by the life of Christ? I preached at the opening of this series, and I began by saying that Ephesians um, has been often called the gospel of the church that our faith is not individual, it's not privatized, but rather life is found in how we relate to one another in the light of Christ. And the passage that we're looking at today I don't think could be more relevant to that idea. So we're gonna read together from Ephesians chapter five. I'm gonna start at verse 21 and it's gonna hopefully come up in the screen behind me or you can follow along on your phone or in a Bible if you have one. Let me read. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. What a passage, eh? We've been working through this book week by week since the end of the summer, and it can be easy to, to think that like each week just stands by itself um, because we're kind of sectioning it off so that we can look at a different bit each time. But it's really important not to forget that each part relates to the one that came before and will relate to the one that comes after. So I speak on this little section today, but it relates to what we've heard previously and it will relate to what comes after. And that's really important to remember. Um, This is a pretty contentious part of the Bible. Maybe you don't think it, but I think lots of people do, and there's just no denying that. There are a few of these kind of passages in the New Testament in Paul's writing which talk about men and women, and often wives and husbands. Um, And let's be clear, it's actually quite a small collection of texts that addresses this stuff. It's certainly not the main crux of his teaching, but it's raised some big issues in the church over centuries about how men and women are meant to relate to each other. In this room there will be many different experiences, there will also be many different opinions. You may not agree with everything I say today and I'm okay with that and you should be okay with that as well, but I've, I've taken some time to think about this and what it might mean for us as a church together, so I want to offer that to you as something that we can wrestle with together as a family. Today I started reading at verse 21. That may seem like uh, quite a boring and unnecessary detail for me to highlight to you, um, but actually I think it's quite important because, you see, our reading of the Bible is sometimes really influenced by the, the translation that we have. And for a long time, this section of Ephesians was divided up differently. In some translations of the Bible, maybe even in your own, this section starts at verse 22. Now, why does that matter? I think it matters quite a lot because you see there's a huge difference in our understanding of what this text might mean depending on where we start. If we start at verse 22, the first thing we read, the first thought is wives submit to your husbands, which creates a very different paradigm for us to inhabit rather than what we understand if we start where we started today. Everyone submit to one another. Do you get why that's a big deal? I mean, maybe you think, does it really matter? Let's not get tied up in knots here, leave it be. Well, no, um, because it's my belief that this passage has been grossly misused over the years to allow for the propping up of damaging power structures in relationships, all on our surface level understanding of the ideas presented here of submission, of control, of power, and of authority. And sometimes it's stemming from as simple a thing as where the section starts. In fact, starting at verse 21 isn't even accurate because this isn't even a new sentence, never mind a new thought. The place that we're landing in on today actually started a few verses before. When you look at it in the original language, and remember, everything we read is a translation from something um, that was written in a different language. Um, So when we look at it in the original language, you find that that sentence that we're in, it started back at verse 18. So the first thought is not wives submit. The first thought isn't even everyone submit. The first thought is be filled with the Spirit. Which means that the stuff we're getting into today about submission and about headship and all of that fun stuff actually comes as a final thought after some other really important calls to us as Christians. The first thing is to be filled with the Spirit because you're going to need it. Then we speak good and godly words to each other, then we sing and make music to God. Isn't that an amazing command to have in the midst of that? We always give thanks and finally we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then and only then does Paul open up this idea using the metaphor of marriage. That's how we got here. I can no longer, and to be fair, I never really did, land in on this passage without reading it in this context. Before any of this stuff is opened up, we are asked to do a lot of other things first, including being called to mutual submission to one another. We all submit, not just one group, in one context as we try and follow Jesus together. This is not a passage that is solely about marriage. It does talk a lot about marriage, but marriage is used metaphorically here. Um, And sure, like Paul is laying out some household codes for living, but that wasn't really an unusual thing to be teaching on at this time. This is a passage that is about the church. And the message of it is not that husbands hold power and authority and women are submissive to that but rather the message and the call the herald to us i believe is to be as christ to one another so however you've approached this passage previously whatever emotive engagement you may have from it from a myriad of perspectives Let's choose together this morning to hold that question in our minds. How can we be as Christ to one another? Is your mind fried yet? Maybe a little. Let's keep going. Uh, Part of the contention that's evolved from this passage revolves around the proper use or translation of the word head. The husband is the head of the wife and what that means. As is common when we wrestle with the Bible, you're going to find a whole host of avenues to go down um, about what one particular word means or doesn't mean. And some scholars are going to be dead set on it, definitely meaning this thing. And then someone else who you equally respect is going to be dead set on it, definitely meaning this thing. And so I'm not going to present to you a definitive answer to what head means here, simply because I don't actually think there is one because it's all connotation. It's all suggestion and nuance. However, I do think that the projection of an authoritarian approach to this word in how men and women and husbands and wives are meant to relate to each other is not true to the wider context of this passage. And that's where I think we may be at risk of getting into trouble sometime regardless of the lack of consensus around what head might definitely mean or how it may be translated. There does seem to be a general consensus, and it's one that we hold here at Central, that it's not speaking in relation to control or leadership because Paul could have used other words that mean that more concretely. So when it says at verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, we really need to finish that sentence. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. I think we're presented here with a bit of a paradox because at this time to say that a husband had complete authority over his wife was no new concept. In this society, of course men had authority over the people in their household. That was just how it worked. Paul is saying here, these things that you see around you, these norms of the society that you're in, you need to view them differently. You need to finish the sentence and view them in the light of Christ and allow the life of Christ to influence how you relate to one another. If this then is the paradigm, why has there been so much talk about authority, about leadership and about guiding? Isn't the essence of the paradigm of the life of Christ here and the example that Paul is giving, one of Christ as sacrificing saviour? The giving of one's life for the good of the other and not about having authority over the other. His model here that he begins with in verse 23 and confirms in verse 25 is one of self-sacrificing love for the good of others. Leadership is just not mentioned. The greatest challenge in this passage is to men, yet women have often been the focus. Paul is challenging them in no uncertain terms to live completely, differently their power sorry lads is diminished here husbands in this society had little obligation to family life they could do whatever they wanted with whomever they wanted and no one could challenge them and of course it is very different in many scenarios for us here today But what we do see here is an incredible example, an invitation of how the gospel subverts the former way of life and invites people into an often deeply challenging new way of living in the light of Jesus. Paul did not advance the hierarchy of the day. He subverted it. It's fair to say that um, we can't talk about this subject and not talk about the hugely damaging things that have come out of it. Patterns of abuse and of oppression, of mistreatment on every level, small to big, have been permissioned by certain interpretations of this passage over the years. And before any of you want to jump in and say, but not everywhere. I know, not everywhere, not in every relationship, but in lots, and that matters. This is the shade that we stand in whenever we consider this. I have no way of knowing every story in this room, but let me say that if you have experienced something hugely or even minorly detrimental to your life as a result of the patterns of authority that have been laid out for you in passages like this, then that was so wrong and you did not deserve that. And I don't believe that that is biblical. The truth is, there is only one head and that head is Christ. From that place, we carry on, or we kind of go back, and we look at this idea of submission. Now, the same text will tell many different stories to you, depending on your context, on your background. For some of you, your age, you know, whether you're young or old, whether you love the labels of millennial, or boomer, or gen Z, or whatever else they are. The first thing to say is this. Submission is a deeply Christian concept. I know this because I have read hundreds of times the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he poured himself out fully for you and for me. Submission doesn't get more real, it doesn't get more human or more holy through the words, not my will, but yours be done, right? However, to teach the concept of submission to women only, to expect it from women only, or in some way, to expect it more from women, and not to teach it in the same way to men, and expect it from men, seems disingenuous. A few years ago, I was visiting some friends who live in a different country and um, a very different church culture to here. It was fascinating, um, probably a little bit more um, old school, maybe a little bit more conservative than I would normally embrace. Um, but it was really cool to be around that and really interesting to see it. One morning, I was invited to join in with this group um, called Wives in Prayer, and now. I think praying is great, and I think praying together is great, and I think praying with people who you share a similar context with is great. So that is my preface. However, honestly, like if you know me even a little bit, you know that something called wives in prayer is just really not going to be my bag. For the first thing, I'm not a wife, so like I did try that line, and I was like, oh, I guess I can't join, you know, I haven't got the card. Um, But then they told me that they would pray for my future husband, to which I said, I'm good, please don't. Um, So anyway, the, that was a really stressful situation. However, my second question to them was um, a little more sincere, and I probably was joking a little bit when I said uh, when I said it. But I said, "Okay, wives in prayer—that's kind of strange, but okay, that's good." When is husbands in prayer? Ha ha! Turns out it didn't exist. Which um, you know you can laugh about it, but honestly, it just deeply frustrated me. Um, That's particular to that one context, but it represented to me in some way and not in every circumstance. I know, I feel like I have to give a caveat after everything that they say. Um, But it represented to me of what is often expected of a woman or of a wife is not in the same way sometimes in the church expected of a man or of a husband. The paradigm for submission is Christ and Christ's action is not authority over here, but it is salvation of. So submission that we are called into as an act of love to one another, regardless of our gender, is a yielding, self-effacing stance where one person places the other before him or herself. It is the opposite of assertion, of self-centeredness and of self-promotion. That is submission. Yes, submission means submission here, but it's something that we are all called to, and it's something that we model after Christ, and Christ alone. Maybe um, you sat through this preach and you've thought, that's all well and good, but I'm not married. I'm single, I'm widowed, I'm a teenager and my parents kind of are in authority over me-ish. For many of us, um, our lives don't fit into this quite specific narrative, and they may never quite fit like this, and so we're left feeling a little like a sore thumb, stuck out on a limb like we don't really belong and we might never belong feeling either exposed or unseen, confused or frustrated. Does this have anything to do with us? When we consider anything in the Bible, I've taken personally to considering it all through the lens and the life of Jesus. I read something and it excites me or it deeply troubles me. And so instead of walking away, I look to Jesus and his life. What do we see then about the kind of people that Jesus surrounded himself with? Honestly, we know very little about them, really. We know some of their names. We know some of their professions. Is that because the particulars of their stories weren't important? I don't think so. I think it shows us something else. It shows us something about Jesus. We just don't know if they were young or if they were old, particularly, if they were in their 20s or their 30s or their 50s, because maybe stage of life didn't stand as a qualifier for Jesus. We also don't really know if some of them were married or some of them weren't, because even if they were or they weren't, it doesn't seem that marital status was a qualifier for Jesus. Not that it didn't matter, it just wasn't the ticket in. Where honestly, so often in the church, it has been. This is not a standalone text about marriage. It is an analogy that we all fit into. For some of you, you do find yourself in this passage because you are a wife or a husband, and here you find something that you get to wrestle with together with your spouse and figure out in our covenant commitment to one another, what does mutual submission look like? What does modeling the life of Christ in our marriage mean for us? There's a a theologian that I'm enjoying recently. She's called Nicholas Lee. I don't agree with everything she says, which is exactly as it should be. Um, And in a podcast recently, I heard her say this. When we don't find ourselves present in a tradition that we are trying to be a part of, that can have a tremendously silencing effect when we don't find ourselves present in a tradition that we are trying to be a part of, that can have a tremendously silencing effect. Perhaps because you are not a wife or a husband, you have sometimes felt silenced. Perhaps because you've had an unhelpful experience of this concept of submission or authority, you sometimes felt silenced. Perhaps because you're a woman, you've sometimes felt silenced. You've probably felt silenced for a myriad of other reasons. I'd like to go back to where I started. I think this is the gospel of the church, and I think we, the church, should listen together. We should get really serious about how we relate compassionately to one another, whether we agree or not we should hold difference kindly we should forgive and we should ask for forgiveness yes this passage talks about marriage but it's not all about marriage it's about living a life shaped by the life of christ living differently in every stage we find ourselves in And I think the particulars, or I hope the particulars of the interpretation I've offered here today, um, I think that they are important for us to grasp. We are a fully egalitarian church, which means that there is no ceiling for women. There is full equality and opportunity for both men and women together. But we have to keep working on that. And as we do, let's come back to that question that i started with how can we be as christ to one another we all have a stake in each other's lives old or young married or single and everything in between have we held up whether directly or indirectly systems of power and control in our relationships with one another How can we embrace a new vision for mutual and loving submission to one another that isn't connected to our gender or primarily our marital status, but rather is modeled after Christ? How can we embrace these these calls that Paul gives us, all of them, to be filled, to speak well, to sing, to give thanks and to submit to one another? to embrace that deeply Christ-like action. Let me finish by reading something else that Paul wrote about Jesus. This is from Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In our relationships with one another, let's have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, so often we don't pay attention to the model that you've given us of how to relate to each other. But we really want to. And so I pray for each of us, the things that um, we've been challenged by this morning, if they are right for us, will you keep challenging us until we do something? The things that maybe have stuck out as painful for us this morning Will you comfort us? Will you comfort us? Will you bring healing to our hearts? And help us, God, as a church, to have the same mindset as as Jesus when we relate to each other. Let us look at one another and ask that question, how can I be as Christ to you? How can I be as Christ to you? Amen.